Hello and welcome back to Voicecraft. This conversation was held and recorded in the context of Voicecraft.network as a live podcast with time for audience participation and questions in the final segment. What follows was held with the same intention that most of the recordings as well as the Voicecraft Network sessions aspire to fulfill. That is an intention towards collaborating in creation to enjoy the process of deepening understanding in the context of friendship and responsiveness to the real patterns shining through, something like living philosophy. Joining me for this dialogue were Greg Henriquez, a clinical psychologist and polymathic thinker in regular collaboration with all sorts of interesting thinkers inside and outside the institutional context. Guy Sengstock, philosopher and founder of the Circling Institute, returns to the podcast. It's always a pleasure to connect with Guy, and I hope we connect again sooner rather than later. And OG Rose, the writer and philosopher who listeners may have heard join Cadell Last, Alex Eber, and myself for the ongoing Philosophy of Lack recordings in previous episodes. As I've said before, I find it a difficult thing to introduce these conversations. This podcast in particular is held in the context of the Voicecraft Network community, where Greg and Guy in particular are quite well known and appreciated for their many contributions to an evolving digital sphere of conversation. So I'm doing my best here to welcome listeners into that, offering just a glimpse of perspective into who anyone is before we dive into some stream of the hyper-conversation. My hope at least is that the general vibe signals well enough what may be worthwhile to engage with here and that there are pathways for participation for those keen of ear. I remember this conversation as touching on some profound notes of meaning, on fatherhood, belonging, philosophy and mysticism in the context of cultural emergence. And check out the show notes for links to the various YouTube channels and podcasts and other works by Greg, Guy and OG. And thank you very much to all the patrons for your continued support. It means a great deal. For those of you wishing to support the channel and the project more broadly, you can go to patreon.com slash voicecraft. Here we go. For me, this is a beautiful opportunity to, to experiment gathering with um, some people I really enjoy being with and um, to see if we can have a conversation together and to do that amongst, amongst friends and then to open that up after the fact. So um, this is no panel. Uh, I'm just curious to hear how Mr. Guy Sengstock is doing as a being these days. It's been a while. How, how are you, Guy? How, how is your life at the moment? My life is really good. It's really good. Oh. I just had, for those of you who don't know me or, or have heard, but uh, my wife and I just had a child, Teague, Teague Orion Sengstock. Um, a couple months ago and that's been he's awesome he's like a little his temperament is really 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 chill um, mm. which which I think makes a big difference <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some of the variation at least from my nervous system right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's been um, it's been it's been it's been absorbing it's been watching this other, this is my second child. It's my wife's first child. And so there's this other birth going on as well, watching mother, like literally shaping her, I can see it in her face, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And this, uh, in fact, that's, 
that was the thing that got me to um, say yes to at midlife having another kid is when I saw her coming back from her sister who had just had a baby. And I just saw a glimmer of something in her that I was like, I, I just could tell the only, it was something that could only come out as, as a mother so would only boss just an intuitive hit. And in that moment I was like, all right, it just went through all the rationality with, by the way, I've tried. If you ever try to rationally deduct whether or not you should have a child, I, I don't think our frontal lobes were designed to do that. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, I think LA Paul likens it, it to being yeah, turned heart, into a vampire. To my heart. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's been, it's been, it's been a really, it's been a really, really um, easeful. And my wife says remarkably, she's surprised at how peaceful it's been. Hmm. And, um, and I, I concur. There's a, there is a, there's something deepening going on, like at a very visceral level for me. And I, and, and there's also something about, you know, I'll be, I, th I think I'm, I stopped counting after 40, but I, I think I'll be 49. I am 49. No, I'll be, I'm almost 50. So there's something about having a child at this age because I have an 18 year old son as well. It's, it's different. Like it's different. Um, yeah, in a way that in a, in, in what I, in what's occurring for me and what I feel, but in this way, that's, it's, um, I, I will, I have a feeling I'm going to be trying to articulate it ongoingly. Hmm. Yeah. So thank nice. you for asking me. <laughs> It's nice to see I'm projecting a lot of myself onto you, Guy, if you, if you can handle that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Sweet. <laughs> Imagining what it'd be like. That <laughs> if it's, I mean, if I it's, just turned 51, yes. so, you know, I have three children, but it would be, and my youngest is 17, my oldest 22, so it'd be launched right back right. and hearing your story, I'd be like, huh, I wonder what kind of holding yes. environment would emerge in my system now that, and how that'd be different. So that's beautiful to hear your narrative, Brent. Totally. Mm -hmm. Experience. That's something that's something you, you three each have in common, being fathers. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I uh I on, on the one hand, I'm I'm I well maybe we can do both at the same time, which is uh which is I'm I'm feeling an appreciation for that and basking in that in some sense. Yeah. And there's another part of me which is like, well, how does it feel to be a father to have that 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 responsibility to to young people in in such an important way um in relationship to what you feel and what you see as occurring in the world at the moment because it's quite a bit of uncertainty and there's certainly polarizing dynamics and at least among the the intellectual and I'm looking for, I think, a broader word than intellectual there, um, because maybe intellect speaks a little bit too much of the mind. But let's say in in the in the general waters in which we swim of considering culture and connecting with each other and um, seeking to come into relationship with 
wisdom in ourselves and perhaps looking out into the world, how might we act more wisely together so we can, in some sense, be involved in stewarding in some sort of movement towards some custodial way of being in relationship to ecology <clears throat> and that there are pathways of affordances for people to to learn and to contribute and to belong to so something like a, a process that's um hoping and is in has integrity in its in its in its core for a kind of um, sustainability is a word that comes to mind at the very least a kind of um peace somewhere in there in the core despite all the various sort of naturally occurring violences in nature that we can in some sense be at peace with with who we are in some process of conscious conscious evolution what does it feel like to be to be a father and um now in in the context of that maybe i might maybe ask greg that um to begin with first of all sure um well it is a certainly a fascinating time uh so and then that intersects with the fascinating nature of being a father um so i guess i would say if i back up when i was having uh kids so this is you know uh, my first child, 1999. Uh, my uh, uh, youngest was born in 2004. So that's the period upon which I'm becoming a father. I'm just getting my doctorate <clears throat> and then getting established at the University of Pennsylvania and then into the University at James Madison University. Um, and for me at that time, it was just the natural thing to do. Um, I sort of saw myself with a single family home and a dog named Benji and married to my high school sweetheart. And that was, that is the way the structure was unfolding. Um, and so the, the, at that juncture, my view of the globe was sort of, was, was like, things are going fine. Um, I, I didn't have any kind of sense of global civilization collapse or, um, you know, I, I, had then what I think my optimistic feeling is now is that we're that human progress and enlightenment now and in general things are moving in the good direction. Um, uh, and so for me, the sort of existential wonderings about the world did not intersect with my um, deciding to become a father or did not press upon me um, in my original early years of, of being a parent. So it was more just what kind of family will we, what kind of holding environment will my wife and I generate? Um, what is the way to guide uh, a young family into uh, a place of security? What are the kinds of values that we want to exemplify? What are the challenges when one of your children, you know, struggles some early OCD kinds of issues? How do you deal with that? Or other kinds of struggles that any normal family would kind of go through. So for me, the identity was pretty consistent. Um, right now, I would feel, because sort of a, over the last three to five years or whatever, it's been awakening to the potential of the globe in a different sort of way. Um, I see a much broader potential horizon, um, both on the good side uh, and on the bad side. Um, you know, I went through a year wandering around 
in my house going global civilization collapse, you know, and for teenagers, for your dad, you know, that's a weird, that's a weird conversation to have with your dad, you know, like, why is dad worried about this shit? You know, and, and why does dad think of the way he does? And, you know, he's, he's an odd ball, you know, and, 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 and so that's been an interesting process to kind of um, help them talk about and help me talk about with them so they can understand sort of, you know, how my life has evolved and how I see the world in, in this kind of unique way um, that a lot of other weirdos that are on the call <laughs> will empathize with, but not everyday people, you know, doing their thing. So that's an interesting deal. I don't have a cataclysmic vision of the future, although I see it as a possibility. Um, if I really do sort of rationalistic risk analysis, um, I think, you know, the Cold War was as much sort of an existential risk to the world as um, the current state. Uh, and I don't say that lightly, but I think that was a real risk. So I wouldn't be, my entanglement with my worldview would not cause me to be like, oh, I don't wanna have children in this world. Um, that's not where my heart takes me. Um, my own experiences is just that I've gotten weirder and weirder as the decades have gone on. <laughs> and as I got deeper and deeper in this crazy rabbit hole, you know, who the hell puts a goddamn cartoon on the back and says, oh, you know, it's called unified theory of knowledge. So that's, that's really, you know, doing that with, with children and as they become teenagers has been fascinating for me. So uh, I, I think I've rambled on enough, but those are some reflections that popped in my head. You seem to be nodding, Daniel. Well, one, everything that comes out of these wonderful people's mouths, everyone is, is worth nodding at because it's so lovely. So it's hard not to nod. Um, and uh, it's great to, to speak with, with you. And, um, you know, I also really appreciate um, communities like this. You know, it's one thing to, um, you know, be in a gathering, be in a job or whatever, when you have a certain social support saying you that that's worth doing when you have a culture that sort of gives you the thumbs up for it. But anything like a voice craft or any of these kind of dialogos, if I use that term, communities, you don't necessarily have a social su support. And so the people who are, are gathering these places see value for themselves. You know, they look okay. at it and say, this is important without any background support and they put themselves in. So I commend um, people in this community who, who are here. And, 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 and in a similar way, you know, you're in an age now where you also don't have background support to have kids, right? You know, you don't have background support to do that. Or maybe if you're an artist or you're a writer, you don't necessarily have the background support of a patron, right? You know, we can make similar arguments to like having a kid is uh, like doing art. Why in the world would you do art? The chances of you getting published, you know, what, why would you do this? Uh, why would you go after a PhD? You can't get a, why would you go into intellectual? And you'll never get a job at a college these days, so on and so forth. I, I think very often in life, the things that are most worth doing must flirt on this sort of border between courage and stupidity. They must be on this line between these things. Because if it was clearly courage, would it really be noble? Because it's obvious mm. you have to do it. There's like very little risk. Um, but also it may be stupid, right? You know, because you also think back, like, um, let's take someone like Thomas More, all right, who the, you know, Catholics consider a saint and so on and so forth. Maybe yeah. it was just like stubborn. You know, just, all right, the king just wants a divorce. Can't you just give him a divorce? What are you doing? And like, during, you know, but there's like this sense that it was honor because he died for his belief. But you see, what's interesting today in culture, it is no longer given that Christianity is true, right? You know, it's not given. It used to be, say, in the fifth, you know, generally speaking, um, it, it was given. And what, by the term given, I mean, it kind of like axiom. It's something you don't have to think about. It's thoughtless. Sure. A big mistake is conflating thoughtless and stupid. You know, it used to have, you had these sociological um, givens that made it to where you mm -hmm. could assume it was Christian and determine rationality. So, you know, you would say, oh, Thomas More was given, so therefore he, he was heroic. But 
you know, in our, what Joyce called um, thought tormented age, you know, after Nietzsche when Givens are not uh, there, um, maybe it's just stubborn. What about Bonhoeffer, right? You know, Bonhoeffer standing up against the Nazis because he thinks Christ is compelling him. Well, you know, maybe, you know, it's only, you know, it's noble because he kind of stood up to Hitler and tried, you know, with the bombing and all that. But, it, you know, if he didn't do that, maybe just be kind of some, some, some sort of zealot, right? So you see, the issue is today, I think, when you're talking about culture, like having kids, for example, um, you don't necessarily have the givens, the background to give you the support to be comfortable that you're doing something mm. noble, right? Nice you don't necessarily you. have it. So you, you do deal with these tensions. Am I like a selfish, horrible person to have children because the world might end? But I was thinking exactly, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. What about the Cold War? What about the Black Plague? What about most of human civilization where every 10 years something terrible is happening? <laughs> you know, right? But you see the difference, of course, um, is that if you have birth control today, then it's a choice. So therefore, if you have kids, it means something. And the question becomes, why did you choose this? And I think one of the reasons we are, as Joy said, a um, thought-tormented age is because everything now is a choice, right? And we're also not sure because we don't have the support of a background or givens mm. to know if those choices are the right choices or not, which mm -hmm. in some respects increases the possible beauty and nobility of them. Mm -hmm or the horrific stupidity in, in idiotry. And I love, what, I love what Guy said, because that entire schema, that entire situation cannot be understood purely in rational thoughts. Sorry. It is this blur between re reasoning and things that you cannot understand unless you do them, unless you meet the conditionality of going in, of which mm -hmm. rationality cannot grasp until you step into that conditionality. Mm -hmm. Which then, here's the other thing, once you step in, it might be too late. Oh gosh, you can't go back. You can't, you've got a kid, <laughs> you know. Don't and uh, you know, you know, take him back. Like, don't, don't. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, guy was giving a beautiful um story about um his saintly child, no doubt saintly. And uh my youngest proceeded to poke my wife in the eye with his thumb the other day in a manner that made her look like the villain off Kill Bill with an eye patch. Um, quite, you know, she so took the eye patch off today. Uh, so you know, you see Reed because he just literally like like oh, they were nuzzling. It was adorable, it was cute. And you're like, this was the right choice. And then boom, I, and you're like, this was the wrong choice. You know, so you're flirting, you don't have givens. You know, your wife loses her eye. You know, that's not given anymore, right? And no, I'm joking. So her eye is fine. Her eye is fine, everyone. <laughs> you know, so you took the iPods out anyway. Um, so I think the other, so to before passing it back to Guy or Tim or, um, you know, I can also bring in a cat in here because I have barn cats for a cat video. If we think that will help the algorithm and let the cat meow, I can transfer to that too. Uh, but, uh, but I think, Often the things in life, I think we're in a unique age because before, like having kids, since it was given that that's good, if you're in a Christian society, be fruitful and multiply Genesis, so it's good. Today, it is not necessarily good, even during the Cold War in America, if we're just thinking America, you know, it's generally good to have kids, even if it's in the face of the apocalypse, because God told you to do it. Today, you're in an age where you don't necessarily have that support. And even if you are a Christian, it, it's still, you're still, you're still thinking about it. It's not thoughtless anymore because of pluralism destabilizing all givens. And so it's kind of Hegelian. Um, Y'all know I was gonna bring in Hegel again. I did all that stuff with Dr. Lash, you know, I couldn't help it. Um, it's kind of like with Hegel that the times of the greatest opportunity are also precisely the times where if you mess up, it's really bad. You know, like in Hegel, it's not necessarily progressive. It's the stakes are raised, where if you do what you're supposed to do, it's really good. But if you do what you're not supposed to do, it's really bad. And so in not having givens, I think choices like this are either like super noble and super wonderful and have some sort of, there's a potential kind of deeper meaning to it precisely because you don't have the support of givens. But it is also 
potentially more awful because how could you possibly bring a child into a world that has global warming coming, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of existential choice that you have that if I were to just throw out a more macro picture, I think that sort of tension is something that really defines culture today. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I think communities like this, it's a, and we can, we can get into it on philosophy, thinking deeper, how to be held. We also understand that autonomous rationality does not work. So we're looking for philosophy that's not merely philosophy. You know, that's also moving between what I like to call, it's not simply explaining us, but it's also addressing us, you know, yes. to have that movement. Um, so we, we, we're because, and we really feel that because we no longer have the background support, the given support. We kind of stand Kierkegaardian naked and alone. Um, and in the same way that you have this blending of the possible stupid, idiotic, selfish with the, with the noble, I think the other thing is beauty and danger tend to go together too. Um, you know, most items in the world, like a pen, you know, or this cup, right? If you really look at this cup, it's kind of beautiful. Like if you really look at it, but I could also hit someone with it, right? You know, items, both a lot of things in the world are both potential beauty and potential danger. And so that's something else. I think now, because we don't have the background, we see the beauty of having kids, but also the danger of having kids, right? We see the nobility of having kids, but also the selfishness of having gives. And in that uncertainty, communities like this, I do think are important because you're trying to figure out how to mentally live in that state and to reside in it and to find uh, as guys language, you know, to, to find what it means to be held, how to be held in that circumstance. So sometimes I think I reflect on such, a, such an immense territory that is just being presenced here, just among the three of you. And um, I think, well, it must be, it must seem so, it must seem so easy to get lost in that. Maybe it is so easy to get lost in that. Like, where am I in relation to that again? How do we bring this back to all of a sudden the here and now? And in, in what way can I be in relationship to my very here and now that in some sense is informative of hopefully a next step being a right one? Um, that there's this dialogical movement that exists on the tip of the tongue maybe from the from the depths of the of the chest and that there's something of an an orientation with respect to that and it, it always feels a bit like a risk that oh. same kind of risk it's like oh here's a moment maybe i can speak truthfully maybe i can speak from the fullness of what i am or maybe i can not do that and all of a sudden in what way am i maybe twisting myself out of some possibility for more um, some, some real touch with what's here with each other and with where that might, with where that, that might lead. Um, you know, I didn't do an introduction for this. We sort of jumped right in. Maybe I'll include that in a recorded intro. Um, there's something there in that, in that orientation towards speaking or expressing or presencing that which is just before the moment we express it, just beyond, guy you often talk about a horizon, seems just beyond the horizon 
of what I can reach for. And all of a sudden, I can take a few steps towards it without knowing what I'm going to find precisely, but that those oh. steps in some sense can be true. And in trusting that, now I have, I have presenced something, presenced myself, presenced oh. a dynamic in relationship that enables some sort of connection and perhaps now a perception out again, a looking out oh. again that has already somehow impossibly made that that transcendent transformative jump and it was the appropriate means of navigating um i could probably say a bunch of words to put some sort of some sort of question to that maybe i'll just say guy i wonder what you're what you're hearing in my in my saying this and there's there's a there's a there's a sense in which i'm also inviting you to share a little of your a little of, of your work maybe a little of how maybe an, any attitude has developed towards your work which is so much to do with enabling authentic connection yeah. between people how, in what way that's developed since having a child in what way that's developed since since i know as well you've found um you know uh, i think quite a, a developed philosophical discourse to be a part of and i know that's something that 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 matters to you and um perhaps that's enough yeah. yeah well just to 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 pick up on the very last thing you said about the the philosophical discourse and those relationships do really do matter for me and i'm still understanding what is it about that that really matters and oh. if you think about the word philosophy philia sophia philia is the greek word for that deep friendship love of friendship companionship right um uh not a, a, like a non-sexual kind of intimacy right that comes with something like friendship or community which is what circling essentially cultivates oh. and it's coupled in philosophy is a coupling with wisdom, Sophia, right? Wisdom means wisdom. So there is this deep, deep coupling that's that's going on. And 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 I think oftentimes if you look at, you know, in in many ways, in some sense, the start of of philosophy formalized as such is is the is the Platonic dialogues. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really interesting to to read those. I'm in the middle of reading them again, and I'm I <laughs> Socrates is different every time I read those. Like he's he's talking to me differently every time. But what's what's striking to me is how much of the relationship and the di- and and the and the dramatic back and forth is is in some sense, more um, expounding of the dialogue than the things that they're saying, right? Mm. And, mm-hmm. and, and that there's something about, like may, maybe one of the, the coolest things about deep philosophical seeing, sensing, right? Being, it's, mm-hmm. you, can, you can imagine it is, is it's not just 
it's not just figuring stuff out, but there's a way of, of if, if it's really philosophical in my understanding of it, there's a way in which you're always in some way being addressed and addressing the origin, the sense of origin. And like not, not necessarily origin in the, in the literal or the lateral sense of the word as, as, mm-hmm. as, as, um, as the, uh, what's his name? Another philosopher said this one time that it's not, it's not origin as that which is before everything else, but rather origin in the vertical sense of that which is always already arrives first and grants mm-hmm. sense and direction. Mm-hmm. And that, that sense of that, that sense of, of the firstness of things, right? Mm-hmm. In some senses, like uh, it's, it's, that, it's that horizon that, that, that when, when you are drawn into it, right? And, and try to speak into and feel into the invisible of something or the thing that doesn't have a word yet or the, 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 the unspoken or the silence right underneath all the sounds or the or the invisible and in, in, like within the, the invisible the hollow the, the the concealed the withdrawal in some sense another word for that is future right and so a relationship of that to our future right is in some sense a revealing one it it in my experience especially in the way that's happening right now and this is is Paul Vanderclay would talk about it on, on our, our little corner of the internet here. Yeah. Um, and, and with Dialogos and where there's a, in some sense, there's a, a renaissance, right. Um, of, of, of this kind of think it's like philosophical dialogue and philosophical thinking, not just in the attainment of abstractions or knowledge, but actually as a way of deeply being intimate with the world, right? As a way of holding oneself in the midst of something really incredible going on, right? Um, and relating with it profoundly. And so there's a, there's, there's a sense in which, there's a sense in which we can think about, like for me, it, it, I can kind of feel it right now as we're talking about it, that sense of intelligibility that you, that draws you out and, Uh and, and in some sense unfolds and you get enfolded by that Uh kind of, that sense of inquiry of constantly feeling into what is not immediately intelligible yet present. Right. Uh And, and, and being continually open to be, to perceive that, to, to experience that, to sense that, right? Mm. Um, it's precisely, it's precisely the same, it's the same way one, one is intimate with somebody, mm. right? Is to kind of like, is to really know somebody, is to not, it's like if if I'm really with you, you will always outlive my conception of you, right? Mm. And and in, and, I, and if I'm if I'm really with you, I'll always have a conception of you to, for you to outlive, right? Mm. And and that sense of when you contact somebody somebody's deepest nature, really, what that means is is you're not you don't 
you don't have, you're not informed by them, but you're in some sense present to, to that which is inexhaustible in them, right? Mm. That, which, that which can't ever be summed up or put a period at the end of it. And it's precisely, I think, that when we, in those I-thou relations, when we get in contact with that inexhaustibility, right? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting when you're doing with that with a person, it's very much the same kind of experience as that w- when when there's an insight or where, oh. where you're getting close to something that you've been grappling with right mm-hmm. it's that mm-hmm. that relationship is very 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 similar in really stunning ways in my experience beautiful yeah that's a beautiful guy i oh there's a there's such a such a, a deep connection back to fatherhood Mm. at least i have the perspective of that from from Uh the perspective of a son although in my more mystical moments which Mm. which are definitely present perhaps more jungian inclined moments i do sense i'm in touch with myself as father even though (laughs) i don't have children and i and i and i may never and um and I wouldn't, I, I mean, I, I hope, I hope not at least to do myself the disservice of um, seeing myself or, or believing myself to be in some sense, not that which is somehow worthy or that which is in some sense able to be father in some broadly archetypal sense and, and not exclusively. There's something when I think of fatherhood and and i don't mean to be exclusive here um i think of protection and um i think of of enabling an environment a protected environment in which the the son again speaking from my own perspective in which the children in which people can um know that they are welcomed to belong Mm. on the basis of what they most fundamentally are Mm. and what an incredible line line might be an incredible dynamic such an interesting tension in having awareness of what actually has to be the case in order to enable the protection of a space for belonging Uh and nevertheless the absolute openness and care in that agapic sense for that which is already fundamentally worthy to belong and so in the context of culture some of the some of the we can say concepts we can relate to them as concepts i think they're deeper dynamics than that i see in relation to belonging with respect to the prospect the dynamic of cultivating culture, I see a relationship between belonging, education, and contribution. And there's something there that, um, well, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I'll stop there. I already felt like I um, put something into the cauldron. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, deeply. What opens up for me is this connection between uh, the 
birthing of the future in some ways. So, so in relationship to the Renaissance, the nature of what I really do feel like is an emerging birthing zeitgeist out of a culture mm. and the participation, mm. certainly my own sense to be called towards it and away from some of the more conventional stuff that I was involved in. So, and the way in which that emerged in my own life is, and then to be part of this is sort of like the hyper conversation or the felt emerging culture, feeling our way through that, you know, um, and trying to imagine what you just articulated, um, Tim, is exactly what I'm hoping for. Um, one of my doctoral students might take my theory and apply it to suicide. And um, her working title is The Ontology of Belonging um, and the Despair of Its Absence. And it's sort of like, you know, kind of what happens to folks, especially adolescents who are feeling and suicidal in the way they drop into psychic and then the alienation and the fracturing and the despair and the purposes of it all and the angst as opposed to the inverse, which is then being held and then belonging. And then I use the term feeling known and valued relative to important others, you know, sort of like, mm -hmm. and, and I really feel like what we're trying to do is trying to create a culture. What, what my hope is when we steal the culture, can we twist where the culture is and rotate it so that it creates a sphere of belonging where people's soul and spirit can be valued both at its foundation and as they grow into it in a particular way. Can we maximize that or, or cultivate that or optimize that felt sense together in a way that's different uh, than we've been doing it? Um, that's certainly what um, that calls forth in me as a hope or a wish or a longing. Mm -hmm. Goodness, thank you, gentlemen. Um, you know, Guy, as, as you were speaking, um, you know, we're talking about space and the Platonic dialogues and different things. Um, a painting requires space, right? You know, if a painting was just one color, it'd be a blob. You know, generally speaking, <laughs> if the Mona Lisa had no negative space or no divisions or whatever, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, that space has a critical function um, in the bringing out of the image or the beauty and so forth and so on. So in the structure of the, of the Plato dialogue, where you have the back and forth, there's a space between them that functions to help create the painting of the work. And some, and interesting, the more you go into philosophy that becomes a single voice or loses the literary character, the more it can almost feel like a blob of text <laughs> as opposed to a, yeah. a painting. And what's interesting is it seems very natural for humans to either be blobs or nothing. Because what's the difference between negative space and nothing, right? There's no presence. You know, negative space that doesn't have any colors just becomes nothing. And it seems very, very difficult to find the right balance of elements, because what is a painter doing? They're trying to find the right balance of space, division, and so forth and so on to create a kind of harmony, right? So we don't want, if I like, um, if I were to make a division between, I guess, um, soloing, singularity, and harmony. Like soloing, I almost want to describe, now I want to switch to music, but oh gosh, I'm messing, I'm mixing it all up. But we're, you know, expanding horizons. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a soloing would be you have a violinist and they're playing alone in the room. Then someone five blocks down the street is playing an oboe alone in the room and someone down the street is, you know, there's a bunch of solos and there's a bunch of different, but it's all disconnected, right? Mm -hmm. Singularity in this context and other 
context, it would be different. But a singularity perhaps would be an orchestra of all violinists. <laughs> you know, they're all, it's a bunch of different people, but they're all playing the same instrument. And so you lose something. But in the orchestra where everyone's playing the violin, you don't have the, you know, maybe the horn, the French horn looking over and feeling like he's ignored because no one cares about the French horn. They only care about the violin. You don't have the person doing the one with the, the cymbals feeling discounted because everyone's got the same um, instrument. So you don't have as much existential anxiety. But if you want to get Beethoven's ninth or you want to get, you know, uh, St. Matthew's Passion, so forth and so on, then you're going to need different instruments with different personality, different skill sets brought together. And because there's a difference, there's a kind of space ontologically mm. in, person, in person between them, right? But because that space exists, it is possible to get extraordinarily beautiful music, but you can get existential tension because the everyone looks at the pianist and like, oh, he gets all the attention because he's the pianist and only one of them. And I'm one of, you know, I'm, there's four violinists and there's this, this tension. Right. So one of the reasons we can be tempted towards soloing is there's no existential tension because you're alone in a room. You can be tempted towards singularity because everyone confirms one another. But really, the only way to get beautiful music is, you know, the, the great works is uh, harmony. But with that comes various risks. So therefore, if I go back to the painting, because I'm really good at mixing metaphor here, uh, you know, there could be a tempted to say, well, if I, you know, if you're trying to do many colors versus red, well, should I do blue? Should I do green? Should I do yellow? Should I do a color? There's a lot of questions. But if I just say, no, nah, it's all going to be red. Oh, great. I take out some tension there. I can just make it all red, right? If I make it one giant blob, oh, it's all, it's all the same at all. But when you actually are trying to make an actual image, then you have to worry about space. Then you have to worry about which colors, which, which shapes, all these different elements run in. And one of the reasons I, you know, Guy, um, one of the reasons I think it's lovely to, you bring up Plato, and it also brings to mind the, the conversations um, with the wonderful Johannes or, it, or the work of, you know, Greg with John Verveke. Um, you know, uh, with the elusive eye, um, everyone in these, in Tim, voicecraft, um, seem, everyone's trying, they understand that there's a temptation with, say, philosophy to just do philosophy, right? To just think, to just be rational. But unfortunately, that just makes a blob, right? Mm. What we've all kind of figured out is that if you just stay in the rational, if you never transition to the emotional or the personal or the aesthetic or the art, or like, um, you know, Greg, if it's just in psychology, if you never, if you don't deal with the crisis in psychology, if you just want to treat everything from a raw materialist framework, um, well, you, you overfit to use that language and you get a blob, right? Mm. I think in our age today, we've, I've, we've gone through these periods where we've seen the crises that develop from either a nihilism where there's nothing, a crisis that has developed from everyone is soloing, you know, they're alone and separate. It's like, well, that's no good. But then when they come together, perhaps because they've soloed so long, then it's mm. too existentially uncomfortable. So they all just want to play the same instrument or just do philosophy or just do science or just do math because it's so existentially difficult to bring it. But I think communities like this are, are where you have, if you're talking about the, the culture outside the culture, Greg, like you're, you're talking about that. I think there is a group of people increasingly realizing that the only answer is harmony. But harmony is very difficult and you can't mm -hmm. simply achieve that by just being a really good philosopher. You also have right. to be personal skills. You have to learn that balance yes. of holding and, and different things. And I think that is, I, I do, if I go back to Hegel again, because I'm going to go back to Hegel every time I talk, because I can't help myself. Uh, you know, if indeed this is the owl flies at dusk, or this is a, a period of great opportunity, which is simultaneously a period of great possible destruction. The only way we can have this be positive versus really negative is I think to learn how to do the harmony, not the singularity, not the soloing. And that is a new set of skills. That is a new kind of theorizing like you're doing, Greg, or a new kind of holding like you're talking about, Guy, that is Beautiful. necessary. 
that if it is not determined, if it is not figured out, then there are real, real costs. And that's the other thing I, I guess I appreciate about you because this, there are costs for not finding that balance. Like you were mentioning the suicide. That's a fantastic, I would love your, your graduate student. That's marvelous. I would be very interested in that work, Greg. Um, there are real costs. People are suffering. I mean, we all know this with the meaning crisis. This is real. There's real price. Um, but I do think there's work being done that is figuring out how to do that harmony um, as opposed to soloing or singularity. Um, and, uh, and that involves spaces, that involves certain dispositions that require certain risk, that require certain dispositions of holding. So I, um, before giving it back to Tim or Ed, um, or, or I, I appreciate the work that you do that feels to me, if I were to categorize it in, in the way I've so described, um, I feel like you, you gentlemen, and a lot of the people here who are listening are, 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 are in the business of searching for harmony, not the roads of soloing or singularity. And I think that's really important. Beautiful. Totally. I'm really present to just the sense of, like this sense, this, this is, is you just, reiterated that this um i know in john's work he talks a lot about the 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 classical epistemological um understanding of knowledge being uh not not uh, not represented per se but as conformity with reality right mm -hmm. so that's where you get a lot of the sense of if you read like the the, the neoplatonic dialogues there's this sense of like in some sense engaging with philosophy is also simultaneously a sense of being initiated in something, right? So mm -hmm. okay. you, you know, to, to, to really kind of comprehend the universe, you must in some sense in comprehending it become someone and transformed into somebody that could comprehend it, right? That right. sense of, mm -hmm. you know, a deep, a deep co-forming with reality as it discloses you, you are become the the fittedness or the openness that can actually allow it to come forward. And so there's that, you can kind of feel that interpenetration and that, that um, midwifery and, and, and sense of birth with things. And so there's that quality, I think in some senses, um, there's a video going around. I think it's of a, um, a, fa a father uh, filmed his daughter, every time she would be practicing the phonemes, right? Mm. She was babbling, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. recorded all of it. Mm. And then mm. like played it in a fast forward, right? Fast mm. forward, Compressed concentrated it. version. Wow. And what, what you see, what you see is the child going like this, going one way overboard to one end of the spectrum of the sound, mm -hmm. and then all the way back and back, boom, 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 but with each, each phoneme or whatever, she go boom, 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 right? Back and forth, back and forth. I just thought that was striking that, mm. right? That without, no one had to teach her to do that, but the, the, it's so revealing of something so primordial about mm -hmm. the way that we're constituted in relationship to the world. It's, there's this sense of like a recognizing something something is worth going towards or 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 disclosing and that our our um, responsiveness is this optimal place but it's this place of feeling into something that isn't totally disclosed all the way in which is simultaneously the process of becoming skilled right uh -huh. um it's this uh -huh. 
in some sense, what we could say, she learned how to say the, pronounce the words, but we could also say that the, in some sense, that the, the words or the phonemes um, uh, got to be through her or birthed through mm. her. So there's this mm. mutual thing going on there. And in that mutuality, I think is when I talk, I, actually now that I'm t- thinking about it, it's like this, one of the, just the, it's early on, but one of, one of the felt differences um, about being a father this time I'm noticing is that back and forth dance, right? Is that back and forth dance where it's like, there's this deep holding going on where if we say that like the mother is the inside, right? Is the inside of the hand and the father traditionally is like the outside of the hand metaphorically, Mm -hmm. but there's, Mm -hmm. there is the sense of going back and forth between the two. So, yeah, Yeah. man. Okay. So there's something here. I reckon I can, uh, add something and I want to toss it over to Greg, or at least that's my image. We'll see if I can manage it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That back and forth. So one thing of many, cause my God, there are many associations to be made guy. I think this is a profound pattern you're pointing to. I mean, um, one thing that comes to mind is uh, we can use this as a lens to see into appropriate leadership we might even say teacherly authority to to quote uh, mr zach stein Um, because these these oscillations these movements too much this way and now too much that other way well there has to be some sort of um response feedback type dynamic for the for the infant to get a sense of okay not quite it Got to, uh-huh. got to try. Just let me explore just fully over there again. Okay, definitely not. Got to come back now. Okay, too much. So, so in in some sense, that's that's a fairly trivial sort of um, reflection I'm making back here. That there's an appropriateness to to leadership and teaching, and from the perspective of harmony, then um, uh-huh. if we're going to try and amp it up a little bit, we are considering a dynamic in which the modulation of the whole toward that harmony is now having many not sure the right language better way to say this but many centers many 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 particular um back and forth type patterns that are seeking some sort of um harmony together now i want to add in add in a sort of a, a layer of um difficulty and challenge with respect to how I'm seeing um, some of the path ahead with respect to the development of culture from the context that we're all speaking from, um, which I imagine might be hard for some listeners who listen to this in some month's time or, or however they find it as, as a podcast might not necessarily know exactly what I'm referencing. And so I'm in part, I apologize for that in another sense it's impossible for me to speak to all of that thing. And in some sense, we're all on our own journey of uncovering and relating to just what I'm meaning. And in fact, a large part of this conversation has been about recognizing the importance of a deep sort of participation in it and a pointing towards harmony as Daniel's, as Daniel's doing. Of course, something I very much resonate with. So the challenge I speak to um, is 
what we might consider from the perspective of language um, that you might hear Alexander Bard speak about, um, but has become, uh, you know, quite popular beyond just his thought. And he refers to the Bard absolute, not his name, B-A-R-R-E-D. Now, I think of, in the context of where we're at here, how at least I'm going to use that term, not speaking for anybody else, is I speak here to a context that um, well, one characteristic would be it is not definable in terms of what it ought be like before stepping into it. In some sense, from the perspective of an orchestra, who in this metaphor, the, the challenge is that this isn't quite scripted, or at least if it is, if there is an element of sheet music we're reading from, there's some impossible sense in which that sheet music is sculpting itself in dynamic response at the same time to those playing it. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Now that, that presents a challenge because the modulation from the perspective of the orchestra to realizing that harmony now having stepped beyond where, had, where we'd previously gone before is not necessarily the thing that we can point to any one teacherly source to be able to give that particular feedback and go, that's your center right there. And that's something that we could peer through a whole, a whole lot of social dynamics with a good amount of um, say skepticism and a kind of certain sense of self-protection and, and wariness, because there's a whole bunch of dynamics, including kind of misapplication of teacherly authority the kind of gurus who might mislead the wrong sort of way just to just to name one um, kind of um, scenario so and but but nevertheless it's no trivial thing to step into that sort of radical possibility space of group creation group realization and it also should be said that it's not as on my conception, at least something that we ought to consider entirely distinct and um, completely separated from interrelated patternings with ecology as such and, and our very nature. It's not as though we all of a sudden don't have psyches or something like this. Um, we, are, we are very, we, we very much take ourselves through that portal into the space um, but it depends what we mean by ourselves. It depends what we mean by take. And it is the case that I think language of a certain kind of uh, living and dying or a kind of rebirth type dynamic at the very least as conceived with respect to um, this ongoing adaptation and modulation of a kind of one's participation in that harmonic setting, all of a sudden, I'm tuning the instrument such as we didn't know a violin could do that before. Is it still a violin? Well, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's something a little bit different. Um, who knows? So I guess what I'm, what I'm pointing to is actually, um, well, I'd, I'd like to as well uh, reflect back on um, the very context of our, of our gathering here and, and recognizing that um well, there are there are others present, and and we're speaking, and um, and soon we'll be we'll be speaking all together and offering reflections and what have you. Um, often, when people hear others talk these days, they hear it on um, they hear it broadcasted. There's not necessarily an access point 
in participation. Um, and that has its advantages. It also has its perils. Uh, and of course, we have private relationships. And in some sense, this is a, a private gathering as well, which we can decide to release later on. We're extending the boundary of the privacy of just the four of us to those, to those listening. What I'm looking to gesture at, and I'm not suggesting that this is, this is in fact that space, but I'm, I'm looking at a space between the private and the public. It's something that I've, you know, I think we could call a shamanic type space. It's a kind of space where people gather before there is, before it's in fact even appropriate to delineate what might come to be felt as a kind of institutional type protocol or a kind of known way of being together in relation mm -hmm. to the territory. It's not like the shamanic space entirely disappears. It will move somewhere else to the space between networks, to the space between communities, that, that liminal zone. Um, but there is something I would, I would call those listening to consider, which is that in order for us to feel, I wouldn't go as far as that because we can get glimmers of it and we can conjure and realize these spaces all over the place. So the feeling is there, but in order for us, I think, to move towards, and this is why, Greg, you're obviously a perfect person to toss this next part over to because I know we can speak from this perspective of the fifth joint point, for example, as an angle into cultural transition. Um, we could use other language as well. And I'm offering here a context and I'm trying to point to the inadequacy of present discourse environments and, um, and, and how we might go about realizing them. And, and I would have a, a lot to say about this and, and some of it would be for other kinds of conversations. Sort of necessarily, if people have been sort of following along, um, but I just wonder, Greg, um, if there's anything that particularly jumps out to you about what I've presenced and how that might Absolutely. relate to your current thinking in relation to transitioning culture, sure, evolution. Yeah, um, lots of threads here. So, <clears throat> um, if we think about us each emanating out of frequency, okay, um, and emanating into some undefined space that would, but also has some sense of attractor. Um, my sense is that the emerging conversation then is a number of these different instruments are vacillating across different polarities, um, but attempting to sync up. And really what I would then say is, is that um, this hyper conversation and the extended communities and the people that will come and, and talk with and the extent to which this if we can, you know, grab a hold of the harmonic resonancy that is at the proper frequency that affords, you know, the orchestra to be played um, across the differences and play with our own infancy in the system that we're in and babble um, with each other, but do but find the kind of context in which we can hold each other as we mature. Uh, then to me, what that affords is the right kind of sort of integrated pluralistic culture uh, that would allow the system to grow and evolve sort of through the fifth joint point. So um, my image is across this digital virtual thing, our souls can be, you know, emanating particular frequencies. Um, and I know, speaking for myself, my syncing up with Guy or syncing up with you or syncing up with John Verbeke with a particular kind of harmonious resonant frequency has transformed my vision about the likelihood of that 
um, to go from, I don't know really what that is to, oh my gosh, I could actually see a, a golden thread of different frequencies, you know, uh, getting harmonized around a particular thing and consolidated and bringing a particular weave together, uh, a cultural weave out of the current system so that the next unfolding um, is, you know, woven together uh, with a particular harmonic frequency that allows us to belong in a different sort of way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing to, there, there's a, there's a, there's a painting from the outside with a kind of metaphorical language. And I'm actually not sure how metaphorical it is. And mm. truly when, with respect to things like vibration and, um, <laughs> you know, oscillation and um, syncing up the, mm -hmm. there's something of, it's, it's like it, my, my language can only use metaphor, but the, but I know the feeling of mm -hmm. what it is to vibrate, for instance. And, um, well, let me that, uh, like at a concrete level, sorry to jump in, but I, I've been syncing up with another guy, mm -hmm. Alex Ebert in the conversations, like in the Bard space who has freak theory or frequency theory, um, which is talking about sort of emergence through oscillation of positive, negative, uh, desire, lack that then expands across frequencies and then hones in and then drops into what he calls zero space. And then that's the quantitative to qualitative mm -hmm. shift um, that I think affords a beautiful metaphysical architecture. And certainly in the context of this conversation, I, I need to bring him in and uh, just because it's salient mm -hmm. for me and it had enormous amounts of resonance, like with what Guy was saying about the babble, you know, the shrinking that babble mm -hmm. in and the uh, on and forth and then to get beamed in and then the metaphor of that expanding into the birthing of new phase of culture. So right. a little nod to Alex Ebert, yeah. but it's another example of the kinds of um, almost miraculous threads that I, at least I'm seeing and be like, oh my God, all these people are um, sort of just arising out of a birthing mist. <laughs> and it's amazing yeah. the resonant frequency yeah. that I have. I mean, that it just warms my soul. And it's almost, I mean, it makes me, I'm a kind of a naturalist, uh, you know, raised atheist. It's like, yeah. good Lord, you know, there really is a spiritual yeah. dimension to this, at least for me. You know, j j I want to just ignore acknowledge something that I see actually is, is you being, and you just mentioned this, I just appreciate, I think, in, in fact, watching the last video with, um, you did with uh, Chris and John and the, the two guys mm -hmm. that commented Bruce on your video, and, yep, right? Mm -hmm. You were, you were talking about, you were talking about your venture into um, uh, the, the swan, the, the, the yogi guy, right? Uh -huh. Opening yep opening that that back up and talking about some of your own experience and it, and it totally. struck me I was like you know my experience of watching you from the first time that we met and it's kind of interesting that we have videos of this that we can go back to conversations right and then watch them <laughs> again like that that's a whole other thing that yeah, th there's a whole, there's so much to think about with that <laughs> wait a minute now you just made me self good <laughs> How it, how it looks to me is is in some sense in some sense I've watched you dive into a conversation right like and watched you in particular conversations and how it occurs for me is of course there's the particular things that are said 
right? Mm -hmm. But there's the, as you say, the vibe, right? Or the mood that somehow holds a conversation, right? Where, where you know, there's that way where, you know, we, we talk about this dialogos, when it goes from dialogue mm -hmm. to dialogos, where, where something lifts up. And, and I, you know, you, you, I, I listen, like you, you, you speak my, my listening and I, <laughs> I, I, or, or, you know, this, this, mm -hmm. this mutuality yeah, so, where, oh my God, where this it's like a circle. <laughs> yeah. And then we walk out, right. And then we walk out of that and, and I, I'll notice, and I've watched this with you over time in my experience. And I want to appreciate this part of it, this, and I think it has to do with this conformity, right? This conformity of as more reality shows through. And one of the ways reality discloses itself is, is through dialogue, right? Um, and the relationship, the, in some sense, the, the holding, the holding environment that it takes to hold that, right? stepping outside of that and walking into your, into my life, I'll notice I'm like, whoa, I'm different, right? Mm. I'm perceiving different. I'm making sense of things different. I'm feeling things I never felt before. And, and these conversations, what will happen is I'll, I'll notice that I'll be in, in, in the back of my mind, like there's a Greg that I have a conversation oh. with. There's like a, an OG Rose I have a conversation with. Mm -hmm. In some sense, you in some sense you kind of inhabit my psyche as oh. as ongoing dialogues that are in some sense watching me and I'm conversing with through my whole life. So this this just really does interpenetrate in a in a in a deep way. Um, totally. This is what we're happening. So I just want to say I think the thing that you're talking about, Greg, is I just want to acknowledge. I feel like. It, deep appreciation of watching you and I think the, mm. the core of your work just becomes so much more of a, what occurs to me as a living experience mm. right for you well, and how, how it comes through in your body and your mannerisms and your speaking and yeah no, I appreciate that uh, I'll just say that's definitely my felt experience got it and, and, and it's been yeah. it's been a pretty transformative transition uh, and the contrast, it's really fascinating, the contrast of my relationship to the academic culture with my work um, in the, mm. and then stepping into this culture away from that. I mean, it's mm. really, uh, I haven't really framed it exactly because you mirror back to me in a particular kind of way, but man, I can just feel that in my gut and, and there's a lot yeah. to be said there, but I'll just say it has been a radical difference. Um, yeah over the last three years or whatever, the, the entry yeah. into this for me, and then the difference and the contrast of the culture I was partaking uh, before uh, really uh, just, right. and yeah, that's changed me down to my cells. You know, wisdom, energy, and a whole bunch of other kind of, that's a label for it, but it's a, it's a way to summarize that transition, that transmutation, yeah. transformation that ha has happened, at least in me. And it's a function of this space and these conversations and beautiful people like yourself who, who yeah. are, you know, just there and, and, and the affordance, yeah. the capacity to be able to, you know, call up and the beauty of this zoom, let's acknowledge the technology, yeah. the beauty of this to yeah. collapse space and time and, and to be a part. And so I can carry you around as an internal working model. <laughs> right. Glorious yeah, thing. totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, 
well, no, uh, wonderful gentleman. And, um, you know, a, a few things, a guy, the, the oscillation you described, I think is, is very, very important. Um, to start, something that has hurt us is um, Neil Postman wrote a great book called The um, End of Education, uh, Teaching and Subversive Act, where he made a point that the classroom today is often structured like a trivia show. The students are sitting and the teacher asks a question they already know the answer to, and who can answer that raise their hand first to get, get the answer. So you're led to believe that education is something you either have or you don't. The medium of education um, indirectly gives you that structure. And for a very, very long time, Therefore, that's been a trivia structure. The medium is the message he's talking about. He's using Marshall McLuhan to understand education. But now with the internet, we're actually starting to see, and we're also feeling more free from that trivia structure, that real knowledge actually comes from a rave. You, nobody knows the answer necessarily, but we're stumbling around and then we stumble better, we fail better, and then we find the middle. Um, and we have to find that middle per se, um, if we're going to feel addressed and not just explained. You know, we exist in the world where we feel, feel explained, we feel explained, and then now we're addressed. And for a very long time, because of the medium of education, the need for that sort of movement, um, which actually, actually I do think falls in Hegel. I think we could, I will not, I will spare everyone. See, I told you every time I speak, I'm going to bring up Hegel. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to spare everyone of discussing Hegel's dialectic, but I would actually say it's something more of what you described um, that our yeah. medium of education has kept us from. Um, the next thing is, when we talk about a sympathy, uh, so a symphony, sympathy, uh, you know, you have individual sectionals and the symphony practice, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have the individual practicing the violin, then you have the sectionals of the strings coming together, and then the sim sympathy performs. Okay. Um, and what the question we, we have to ask when it comes to what does the new culture look like? Is this a sectional or is this the symphony? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and is the outside world the audience or should we go from here and make the outside world part of the sympathy symphony? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So everyone here is that Greg's done his work on the unified theory the guys done his work. So you have your individual, you know, your individual mm -hmm. sessions, your practice. And also please note that that three prong structure, if we go back to the original macro, what I was describing, if you're, um, you know, soloing, well, there's only individual practice, right? If you're singular, if it's singularity, then there's no meaningful difference between the individual practice, the sectional and the symphony. There's only a meaningful difference between those three actions, those practicings, those performances in, in terms of harmony. Now, the reason the metaphor does get mixed is because today, um, so I teach piano, the, the pattern method and different things. Um, today, it's more like we all have to be jazz. It's like a jazz band. Okay, because we no longer have givens. And so there's no music to read. You know, if there was if there was the same societal givens, like we were saying at the beginning, everyone could read the music. And here's the other key point. Someone who wasn't part of the music playing was not a band member in the symphony could read the music and know what we were doing. Mm. But if you're in but here's the thing about jazz. So I do piano and different things. And we would have like like I remember one night, you know, we had like a three hour session and you would have thought we practiced it. For weeks, we made it all up on the spot. It was all on the spot, but it could not meaningfully be defined from sheet music because it seemed like there, because there was a logic. It was not just random keys you're hitting. It is in the key of G. You just kind of knew that the guitar, Michael Coleman on the guitar came in and you just kind of knew it was, you just knew it. You had this knowing that could not be intellectualized and yet was incredibly real. And so today, what it kind of is, is where you have individual people learning their music, then they're doing sectionals to get good at jamming in their section, and then it's like different jazz groups can come together and do a larger thing. Yep. But here's what's so problematic, which I think can make it feel sort of isolational. Um, 
Unless, the only way to get the logic of that community is if you play an instrument and you're in it. And so it's kind of different where in the past, you didn't necessarily have to play the music. You could just know the given, you could just know the sheet music and kind of in a way participate. Now you can't even get the logic of what's going on unless you're in it and performing. And so culture today in that sense is improvisational as opposed to given. But here's the very, very key component. Improvisational music is not random. Anyone who does jazz, anyone who does that knows very well yeah. that there is a logic going on. There's a, there's a logic to Dialogos conversations that is very real, but cannot know, be known outside the Dialogos conversation. And so in that way also though, here's the other funny thing. Um, after you have a great jazz improvisation and somebody go, how did you do that? You kind of go, I don't know. And so then you start to wonder if maybe you didn't do anything and maybe it was all crazy and maybe there was nothing there. Because once it's gone, you're like, well, maybe, I don't know. How did I do that? Oh gosh, I don't know why I hit the F sharp right then, but there wasn't, what was the reason? I don't know. And yet at the time you knew it very well. So jazz improvisation, but you see, if you're in a, sim a classical symphony, you could say, well, I played the F sharp because look, in the sure. sheet music, it says play the F sharp. You can outsource, here's the key. You can outsource the decision to the sheet music and not be entirely mm -hmm. existentially responsible for it. Mm -hmm. But now, yeah. if in the jazz improvisation, you chose to play F sharp, you chose that. Mm -hmm. You chose it. Why did you choose it? And so this goes back to what we said. So we're all playing jazz improvisations. Mm -hmm. We're all choosing our notes, raw, real choice. And the question we're all are wondering is, is it because we're crazy? Or is it because there's something beautiful to it? Everything mm -hmm. constantly exists in that tension that we were saying at the, at the beginning. And so there has to be a belief in it. There has to be a trust in it. There has to be a confidence in it that the social order will not give you because the background is not there. So you have to give it to yourself. And if you give that to yourself, you'll always be wondering, well, maybe I'm just uh, crazy. You know, maybe it's mm -hmm. Thomas More about Christianity, like I was saying at the beginning, mm -hmm. but it's only by taking that risk it's by only by taking that Kierkegaardian leap for playing the F sharp at this moment that you can truly do something beautiful and noble. And the more you do it, the more you, you see the wonder in it. But for people to get it, they have to enter into it. So I think it's very important, therefore, before I pass it on, that um, communities like this also though do have that openness, that sort of invitation to bring people in and to show them and to teach them and to let them be part. Uh, because I do think the new... If we want to use the language of um, event, I guess the boat, you know, that bar, you know, talking about the new event. This is the society that's logic is improvisation. And it's, an, it's a new event. It's a new time. It's where the laws of previous civilizational orders were more like sheet music. And now mm -hmm. it is more like improvisational, mm -hmm. which does not mean there is no law. There is no mm -hmm. order. But the law and order can only be known by the people who will go and play the music, mm -hmm. who will step into that conditionality and take the risk. And that's the age that we are in. So the question is, how can we cultivate ourselves to do that, mm -hmm. to get better at it, and to also invite other people into it? Great. Yeah, beautiful. Wow. That's a, that's a wonderful place, perhaps, to um, draw this part of the dialogue to a close. Quick shout out to Alex Ebert for, and for those listening. Um, Daniel and I also have some conversations with Alex in the Philosophy of Black, which you can find, um, which you can find on the podcast in previous episodes for oh, some 
extrapolations of of uh, of freak theory and what have you well, good to be yes. plug into that hyper conversation <laughs> yeah no to- totally it's all it's all referencing itself and so much to so much to say so many so many further okay. notes beckon go ahead guy but before we move on i'm just curious um well first of all i just want to say mr rose i <laughs> just so you know what it's like listening listening to you for me is it's like the sense of where there are ghosts around and I'm in some relationship to them, but I can't see them. And then you just start talking and then you, you'd like dress them. You put skin on them and you dress them and they're, they're, they're this, I just, I want to say, I just love that experience of listening to you. Like it, it's, you, you take you, this, um this sensibility of the way that you make sense is really kind of, bringing some of these, these, these distinctions and bringing them into the, like a real concrete sense, right? Yet, yet making the paradox more available, right? Mm-hmm. Like not explaining it away, but actually making it more available. Um, so mm-hmm. I really, really appreciate that. And I'm just curious. Well, thank you. Your, Tim, you, you, you had kind of basically posed a question about, and what I, what I heard you say, it, it kind of it hit me between the eyes when you said it was um, yeah, but there's really no one to to say that's the right note. There it is, you hit it, right? And and it was really inside. I noticed myself like when you said that. I noticed myself kind of imagine that you were going to say yeah, and that's missing these days, right? Mm. And but in what in what you said was yeah, but like and maybe this is part of why it's missing, right? Is, is like, you know, the imp- the moral implications, the ethical implications, the social implications of like saying, somebody pointing to and saying the right thing and the shadows that come up along with that. I'm just, I'm just curious yeah. that, that, that sense of that sense after just hearing this go around, what, what do you think now? What do you see now in terms of that? Uh, I um, I feel um, the same. Uh, if I'm hearing you right, I, I feel I feel the same because I um, uh, I I think I think it really matters who's present in order to speak some things that must be said. Yeah. And that taking seriously the, the context of participation, the channels of communication is deeply yeah. important. And it yeah. requires a level of organization that we don't yet have. And oh. in many respects, that's partly to do because the relationships between us broadly are not sufficiently strong in quality. I don't mean that there aren't relationships that aren't strong enough in quality, but that there's a lot of interconnections between people to be built. This is a conversation among the four of us, others are listening and soon others will contribute. But there's of course, dyadic elements to, to all of these relationships and, um, and dyadic relations between so many others who broadly speaking, we might um, seek to invite perhaps into certain contexts. There's, I, 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 
recently I've been reading a book by a, um, a mystic, a Jungian mystic named um, Peter Kingsley. And his book is called Catafalque, Carl Jung and the End of Humanity. This book was recommended to me by um, Evan McMullen, who, um, who oh, a number of you know, and Evan will be joining, I think, for many conversations. And I've, I've recently uh, gotten to know Evan in, in many conversations. And um, anyway, he, he recommended me this book and, um, and he was very right to recommend it. And I haven't yet finished, but one of the things he is discussing and he makes so many arguments and I, they're all layered and I can't speak to them all, but he's discussing the, the manner in which we have for him so totally some mixture of forgotten but worse participated in our own forgetting and our own diminishment of the of the of the reality and the importance of prophets and he he sees the, the prophet as fundamentally that which <laughs> back in the day just walked around and howled howled and that's shocking. It's shocking because for him, it's a sound that, that, that comes from the entrails and vibrates from the entrails. And for those, let's say in the Jungian language, and of course we all are oriented by the spirit of the times, but for those who are in particular dispositions of rejecting the reality of the spirit of the depths the only reasonable and the key word there is reasonable the only reasonable response to someone howling is to call them crazy and there's somewhere for them to go it's not to feel maybe where that's coming from and it's not to have that shockingness be a be a be a be an invitation to hearken to that fundamentality of the sacred and our relation to it and so i would imagine and more than imagine that many of the notes to be played whether in solo moments whether in duets presenced in the harmony Will occasionally, perhaps in their failing, and perhaps even in their speaking, sounding most truthfully, uh, create sights and sounds and feelings that are quite shocking. And um, and the question then, with respect to protection, comes back in: Are we being responsible to the? To each other in in opening into these types of interactions and um that's my that's my initial beginnings of response i mean the 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 your question obviously invites it invites a dialogue of of many of many of a long time and i i would wish to treat that fully and um because there's also something to where you're coming from that i would that i would speak to with a kind of um with a with a with a loving yes, which would be 
uh, us together, and we already have taken a next step into presencing just potentially that little bit more. Um, but I guess all I've done is just cast the net out into possibility space that bit wider and say, well, there's somewhere else I, I, we can't yet go. <laughs> Yeah. but now we've gone a little yeah. further fantastic so Sweet. anyway i i I, I think it would be nice to um first of all i mean thank you thank you all so much this has been a wonderful dialogue and um and it's not over mm. and unless unless there's there's any any thoughts otherwise uh would invite no, those who are wanting to Please. to um to turn their video on uh, we mm -hmm. can take uh, some silence here together. There's no, there's no pressure on this, and um, and uh, whether you know, feel it out and and to speak forth if you have something to reflect or or a question to ask. Hey everyone! So the next thirty or so minutes of larger group participation in the network was recorded and is included in the unlisted video that's shared with the network itself. Decided on this occasion that it would be best to keep the context of that discussion within the context of the network. The dance of understanding what constitutes an appropriate membrane behind which pieces of content here or there are viewable is an interesting and ongoing inquiry. You can learn more about Voicecraft Network at voicecraft.network. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy these podcasts, please consider sharing them or leaving a review, and perhaps also to consider supporting it on patreon.com voicecraft. It will help sustain the podcast, build the network, and make possible more community events and educational resources. Gone. The, the thrill is gone. The, the thrill is gone.